den Richtlinien so vorgenommen worden sind, wie wir das für richtig halten. Das heißt... Hey, Billy, why do you look so down? Aw, oh, Dad, I got a computer, a PlayStation, and a barn full of iguanas, and I'm still bored. <sighs> Gee, Billy, when I was your age, I would read lots of stories in pulp magazines. Oh, with stories of weird adventure and fantasy, horror, satire, and lots of action. Wow, that sounds great, Dad. Yeah, I sure wish there was something like that right now. <laughs> there is Daddy-O! Who are you? I'm Dr. Mary Von Roxbrocket, host of the Twisted Pulp Radio Hour, and now there's... Yeah? Twisted Pulp Magazine! <laughs> What's that, Doctor? Why, it is a return to greatness! Available on all your digital devices! That is what it is! Look! Exciting and, dare I say it, very unwholesome. You definitely have that right, my good man. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Mary. My pleasure, Billy. And just between you and me, I am not sure that this man is really your father. Bye. Dad? Uh, just read your Twisted Pulp magazine, Billy. Twisted Pulp magazine, available. In dark alleyways behind meth labs everywhere. Or at Amazon.com or ArchaicMedia.info. That is A-R-C-H-A-I-C-M-E-D-I-A dot info. <laughs> the Nightcaller by G.L. Razor. Read by Wesley Critchfield. Cherry Elder's descent into madness began on a Thursday. It was eight o'clock in the evening, and she was stacking the dinner dishes. For Sherry and her daughter, Amy, there would be no escape. It began, quite simply, when she answered the phone. Hello? She said, cupping the receiver to her ear as she examined a water-spotted glass. Dead silence greeted her. She pushed back hair that was beginning to show the first signs of gray and waited for the caller to speak. Hello? She repeated, impatience in her voice. A crackling came this time, and beneath that the faintest suggestion of breathing. Who is this? She demanded. The labored breathing grew louder, and suddenly 
the connection was broken. Cherry replaced the phone and leaned her head against the wall. Unease settled into her stomach as she listened to the winter rain that whispered against the window. Outside, a car slowed and then drove by. Was it a wrong number, Mommy? Startled, Sherry looked down at her daughter. Yes, it was. With a self-conscious effort, she brightened. Speaking of numbers, I think we should give your dad a call. Amy glanced at the phone and then fixed her mother with an incredulous expression that only a five-year-old can muster. You know we're not supposed to bother Daddy at work unless it's real important. Sherry sighed, and shadows filled her eyes. Amy picked up on the fear in her mom's face. Is Daddy coming home soon? I don't know, sweetheart, Sherry answered distractedly. Michael's got a lot of down phone lines to fix. What's wrong, Mommy? Nothing. Nothing at all. Hey, don't you know that worrying too much can cause wrinkles? Without warning, she reached down and scooped up Amy. Laughing, Sherry began spinning around and around. Amy's long blonde hair floated outward, and her screams of mock fear filled the room. Amy threw her arms around Sherry's neck. Mommy, I wish Daddy didn't have to work so much. You do, huh? Well, that makes two of us. The little girl buried her face in the material of Sherry's sweater. Is Daddy really going to read me a story before I go to bed? Of course he is. Daddy said he would be home by nine, and he would never lie to his favorite little girl on her birthday. As she put Amy on the couch, Sherry thought she heard the phone ring. Once. But there was a storm coming, so she couldn't be sure of what she heard. Maybe it was only her imagination. Later in the night, a sound woke Sherry. It was faint, undefinable. She sat up in bed, wide awake, and looked around in the darkened room. Something was out of kilter. When she had gone to sleep, all the lights were on. Now they were off. The storm had passed, but it had taken the electricity with it. She tried to identify what had pulled her awake. Whatever it was had come from inside the house. Her eyes darted to the clock, and she saw it had stopped at 11.23. The sounds came again, from the kitchen this time. With a groan, she felt across the bed for Michael, and found it empty. Silently, she slipped from the bed and padded down the long hallway to Amy's room. It, too, was empty. The house was different tonight. Quiet. Without electricity, there was none of the background noises she had grown used to. The silence was oppressive. She leaned against the wall and listened as the scraping sound drifted again from the darkness. Something heavy was being dragged across the floor, and she felt a trickle of fear. Where was Amy? Sherry groped her way into the kitchen, trying to control the shivering that seized her. Her eyes searched the room, trying to locate her daughter, and when she found Amy, it took a moment to comprehend what she saw. Amy was perched on a chair, with the phone pressed to her ear. Eyes tightly closed. 
The small voice was filled with happiness. Daddy, that's my favorite. At the sound of Amy's voice, Sherry felt relief so intense she thought her knees would buckle. What she had heard was Amy dragging a chair over to the phone so she could talk to her dad. Yet, something felt wrong. My God, she's walking in her sleep, Sherry whispered to herself. Ever so gently, she reached out and eased the phone away from the tiny hand. We've got to get you back to bed, young lady. Out of habit, Sherry placed the warm plastic against her own ear and stiffened as the now familiar crackling bubbled up. Then came the breathing, ragged and guttural. Revulsion and fear distorted her face as she tried to pull the receiver away, but she was too slow. Time crawled out of the static, the faint words drying slivers of ice deep into her chest. Who is this? Sherry asked in a fierce, low voice. The phone was silent. With nerveless fingers, she hung up. Take it easy. Just stay calm. But that wasn't so easy in the face of one simple fact. Even though she had heard the voice speak on the phone, she didn't remember hearing the phone ring. She was quite certain of that, pushing down the fright that threatened to overwhelm her. She carried Amy back to bed. She went to the kitchen, took a deep breath, and reached for the phone. It rang. On the fourth ring, she found the courage to pick it up and say, Hello? Mrs. Elder? A sad-voiced man asked. She made a noise that he took for affirmation. I'm sorry. I'm afraid I've got some bad news. The voice paused, and quite suddenly, she could hear Michael and Amy talking to each other. Their last conversation before Michael left for work. She knew the voices were only in her head. But each word was distinct, and she could make them out quite clearly. Their voices had bounced back and forth in a crazy counterpoint that was somehow more real than the words coming from the phone. The anonymous man continued on, telling her things that couldn't possibly be true. Her life was shattering into fragments that she could never put back into any kind of order. She was helpless as the voices warred for her attention. Daddy will read you a special story before bedtime, sweetheart. Michael Elder has been involved in an accident. You promise, Daddy? We touched a power line. I promise, Amy. They're rushing him over to county. Do you want us to send someone around to take you? No. I have a car. She heard herself say. When finally the voice went away, Sherry laid her face against the coolness of the kitchen table for a second and tried to blot out all thought. But her mind kept playing back over the two words from Amy's phone call. Over and over. The words that so painfully emerged from the static were beginning to make sense. Sitting in the oasis of light that spilled through the window, she attempted one last time to convince herself it was all some kind of mistake. And for a moment, she was almost able to believe. Almost. She clutched her car keys and rose to get Amy. At that instant, the electricity came back on, filling the room with a sudden brightness that hurt her eyes. 
The television she had left on for company roared with static, but beneath it was another sound. A phone ringing. Sherry stared at it a long moment before she picked it up and listened. Her eyes filled with dull acceptance when the crackling came again. The crackling that sounded like... What? High voltage ripping through flesh? Michael's flesh? Haltingly, a voice began. Once. Then stronger. Upon. A time. Michael! Stop it! She begged as the tears trickled down. You don't have to read her any more bedtime stories. It's okay. You don't have to. The static rose and fell. There were three bears. The voice continued on in an unrelenting monotone, as if it were a recording that would not, could not stop until it reached its appointed end. Sherry slammed the phone down and turned to find Amy staring at her with frightened eyes. Mommy? Who was that? Who was that, Mommy? Nobody, sweetheart, she said, dabbing at her eyes. It was just a wrong number. As the sleepy pajama-clad form ran over and climbed up onto her lap, the phone began to ring again. Sherry sat frozen in the chair, staring straight ahead, waiting for it to stop, praying for it to stop. But over and over, with unceasing regularity, it jangled. The sound seemed to grow louder with each ring. Mommy, aren't you going to answer? No, I've had enough of phones to last a lifetime. She ripped the plug from the wall. The silence was deafening, releasing a painful breath that she'd been unaware she was holding. She pulled Amy close. Come on, kiddo. Let's get you dressed. We've got to get out of here right now. Daddy's waiting for us. But before she could move, the phone began to ring. While traveling home from a job interview in California, Mark and Allie Thurston suffer a car accident in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. Allie, are you alright? After walking for miles to the nearest convenience store, they are greeted by Hap, the store owner, who invites them to stay the night in his home. Me and my son would be glad to have you. When the two announce their plans to stay in a nearby hotel and restaurant, the Old Tawan Buffet, Hap does his best to dissuade them, but when they insist, he leaves them with a strange warning. Don't eat the calamari. When the warning goes unheeded, Mark and Allie are plunged headlong into a cosmic nightmare. Mark! Mark! What's happening to me? Giants, frogmen, time travel, and interdimensional madness. Now you die, your Allie dies, your old man dies, I find your home, all of your friends die. All of which concludes in a battle against an ancient evil. You will bow before the mighty Dion Dega! 
Together they must find a way to preserve their lives, their sanity, and perhaps even their world. Part love story and part comedy, perfect for fans of Ghostbusters and Cloverfield. The Old Talon Buffet by Wesley Critchfield is a deep dive into Lovecraftian horror that will keep you in suspense and make you want to come back for seconds. Great. I've woken up in the middle of a British Three Stooges routine. More like Gilbert and Sullivan, I should think. No, Monty Python's far more my speed. The Old Talon Buffet, or Don't Eat the Calamari, by Wesley Critchfield. Read it now on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Audiobook version coming soon at audible.com.